Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. Hi, this is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth, and it's my pleasure to have Earl Douglas with us from ADS South once again. Earl, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Earl, I haven't shared this with you previously, but my father's middle name is Earl, and uh, my uh, granddad was good friends with a a local farmer and large property owner in the area, and uh, he was also president of the local bank. His name was Earl. So my dad's, my dad was named after him. And then when I was born 25 years later, Earl put uh, my first $5 in the bank for me when I was five days old. So we've got an Earl in our family and that's a, that's a classic name you have. So uh, you can be proud of that. I'll try to live up to that. There you go. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about what the sellers need to know about transitioning from being an owner to being an employee. You know, that is a huge shift, and it's not just a financial shift, it's also a psychological shift. We're not even going to get into that too much today, but uh, we're going to start off today. We spoke a little bit in our previous episode about how the culture of practice will likely change after it's sold to a DSO, but maybe we could flesh that out a little bit more right now. Well, keep in mind that the culture of the practice is formed by the person who is in control and who decides what to spend and what to buy, and what not to spend, and what not to buy. And as a seller, that is no longer you. That would be the person who paid for the responsibility, the privilege to have that authority. I'll uh, always remember, I'd say it's a worst case scenario. This does not happen all the time, but it did happen once, and it impacted me enough that over the last 10 years, I'll never forget it. Uh, A lady dentist sold a practice to a DSO company, and there are various grades of DSOs, just like anything else. This one probably happened to be the worst. Well, after the sale, the um, DSO replaced the very high-quality staff with... um, the least expensive people they could hire. There was a 20-year-old lady at the front desk chewing gum who really didn't know what the job was about. Uh, The other staff were only chosen for their their low salaries, not for their effectiveness, helpfulness, or friendliness. But to make matters even worse, the DSO did not pay the staff their salaries when they were due. Now, the seller was a very 
first-class person. She was she was top-notch person. It bothered her so much she paid the staff out of her own pocket. Oh my! So uh, that wasn't just a change in culture; that was an eradication of culture. We're able as an owner to to form the impression that we give our patients, and we do that in a large part with our staff. We're one of six, eight, ten people in the office, and the others all have a big impact on the patient's perception. And we're able to pay, buy, and form that culture that they impart. But uh, many times that changes in the interest of what appears to be a higher rate of return for shareholders. So the culture of the practice will definitely be different in most cases. There are probably some DSOs who have figured out it's wise to keep things in place, to keep the operation running as it was when they bought it. But uh, you don't know until afterwards because being told something doesn't really always make it happen. There was another DSO sale in which um, the staff got so disappointed, they all quit in mass. And then the uh, DSO closed the doors. So that made meeting a quota very impossible, of course. So remember, if it isn't yours, it'll be someone else's decisions, authorities, and operations, and you might not like that. Right, and I think the uncertainty of the future is a big fear that a lot of people have. And uh, when sellers who've sold to DSOs can't control their future, it has to be somewhat unnerving. We spoke a little bit previously also about tax write-offs, but I wonder if you could get into that a little bit more and talk about the impact of uh, tax write-offs that practice owners have versus what they'll experience after a sale to a DSO? That's so important. Uh, after the sale, the seller can expect to be paid 25% of their collections. But in their previous life as an owner, in addition to that, the practice paid many times cases for their car. And one of my favorite accountants would ask at a seminar, how many of you write off your car? And most people raise their hands. And how many of you also write off your wife's car? And some hands went up. And uh, then he asked, how many write off a child's car? A few hands go up. He says, I wouldn't go any further than that. So there's some very good benefits from that. Uh, health insurance. You might not be provided health insurance by your new employer. That might have to come out of your after-tax pocket. Uh, this one particular dentist we'll talk about used his airplane in promoting his practice. You know how we do that, right? What do you pull, banner? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he went over top uh, the community and said, I love you. But... Um, <laughs> That's a very expensive proposition, and the practice paid for that. Uh, the continuing education trips. Not only do you get continuing education, uh, I just came back from a state dental convention in a seaside resort at a uh, uh, Ritz-Carlton hotel, 
And of course, that was deductible for owners. But I don't expect that the DSO would pay for a luxurious trip like that. Oh, did I mention the $50,000 you put into your pension plan? That's deductible. Uh, you might not expect to see that either. So you could see in addition to this 50% reduction in your net income, uh, the loss of uh, a lot of very valuable benefits. So look at the tax return with your accountant and ask him, how much did I really make? I know the tax return says how much tax do I owe, but help me understand what I really made so I can make some well-informed decisions going forward. Well, like you said in our previous episode, it's not about the top line that you get offered, it's about the bottom line when everything's said and done, what's the difference going to be? And you know, it's been my experience sometimes when uh, practice owners defer to their CPAs and their accountants to try to explain things to me that are on the profit and loss statement or the tax returns that may have been reported in a confusing manner or may just not have been broken out, is that many times the accountants try to defend their work not understanding that we are not the IRS, that we are trying to identify these additional items that we can add back to seller's discretionary earnings and that we're not trying to uh, uh, be critical of the CPAs or call their work into question because they were doing the best they could to reduce the, the practice owner's uh, tax liability. And to go off topic again for a moment, um the uh, there's an old saying, the pigs get fed and the hogs get slaughtered. And we've seen a lot of dentists who go way overboard on deducting just about every personal expense they have. And then when it comes time for a practice valuation, uh, it does not cash flow. These expenses that were poured into the uh, Profit and loss made the practice un untenable for a buyer. And I do tell people it's okay to write off some things, but if you're going to store fat in the body, store it in the appendix and not in the heart and the liver. In other words, don't put your expenses in your laboratory expense or dental supplies because we cannot convince any buyer or lender that that's not a legitimate expense. But make line items that are acceptable to be deleted. Yeah, he really didn't have to pay for his uh, $50,000 self-improvement program or the continuing education or the uh, fringe benefit. So when we do make those deductions, let's make them in a way that we can deduct them, but that uh, the people who will evaluate this practice will know that they can be deleted. Earl, what changes in insurance plans might likely occur with the DSO sale, and how would these changes affect a seller's employment compensation? Well, it all depends on how the uh, seller is being treated after the sale uh, compensation-wise. And if I could, I'd like to use uh, our actual real-life practice to explain some of this. Uh, three years ago, a dentist came to me. He had three different DSO offers, 
and uh, wanted me to evaluate which one was the best. Uh, he was uh, collecting three and a half million dollars a year. He had three offers of $400,000 each from each DSO. That's 115% of gross. Now, the conditions were with the uh, first offer, he would be paid 15% commission and he would be required to work for five years. Well, that amounted to a lot of dollars. That, that came out to uh, $6.9 million. But um, let's look at the second one. He was offered 400000 and uh, he was being paid uh, $300,000 a year in salary and possibly a $250,000 uh, stock bonus. So this proposition totaled $6 million. So the first one totaled six nine. This was six, and the third one, uh, four hundred thousand. He was paid seventy percent of the price at closing, and then uh, after five years, the other balance, if he stayed with them, give him the uh, stock option also, and he came up with five point six million. So in the second and third options, he's paid a fixed salary, 300,000 from one, 350 from another. And uh, I warned him that if he were to go into this, he could expect to have a lot of very low paying managed care plans added onto the practice. It would be pure profit for the practice because he's on a fixed salary. If they doubled his workload, they still pay him the same salary. And it would not be the most rewarding work he would do either. So what you earn afterwards and what you have to do to get it uh, requires some very, very close inspection. Now, the... Uh, there was a fourth option that he didn't present to me, but I presented to him. I said, um, you, you have these three offers. I'm going to show you another option. What if you kept the practice for five years and then we sold it to a real dentist who is going to be an owner operator and you sold it to him and he bought it and you walked away you retire at the same time, five years from now. But we're going to sell it to this uh, dentist for 75% of gross, not the 115% of gross that the DSOs offered. Now, the big factor here is what he would earn in his own practice, given all the benefits that he keeps all the profit that five-year earning would be $6.9 million plus the $2.9 million price, which was 75% of gross. Um, 
his total there was 9,800,000, which is 50% more than the highest DSO offer would have yielded. And he would have kept his airplane expenses, his pension plan, his health insurance, his uh, health, all the uh, benefits that he was paying himself. And he would keep the culture of the practice. The practice would still be a place he could be proud to go to work. So it's a really important comparison to compare what if I didn't work for them for two, three, four, five years, but work for myself because I net so much more money than they will pay. And then I showed him, here's one more option. If you want to make the same amount of money as the highest paying DSO offer, actually 100,000 more, work the practice for three more years and you could burn it down and you would come out with the same amount of money as working for them for five years in a way that you probably wouldn't enjoy. So you can see there is a very, very good alternative. Not only does it yield the seller more money, more comfortably, more happily, but it also helps him maintain the profession of dentistry by giving his legacy to a dentist and not venture capitalist. Got it. Well, Earl, you've done a good job of highlighting that. You know, one question that I, I kind of wanted to finish up with would, was how will a seller's compensation rate change after a sale? I think you just kind of hit on that. Is there anything else that you would like to, to present on that topic? Well, it's so important, as I say, to know what your starting point is. You don't know how much it'll change if you don't know what it is now. Uh, this is just a plea for dentists considering retirement in the next five years to really seek expert counsel and understand where your practice is, what it's doing for you. Learn any weaknesses of the practice, be able to correct them. Make your practice the most marketable, most valuable asset it can be. And then as you look at the uh, offers from DSOs, uh, if you know that you're netting 80% of your personal production and that their offer would be 25% or 30%, it's very easy to calculate what the difference is. And uh, we don't even need to calculate it. If I'm making 50% less than I am now, I'm not ready to sell. And if I do, it won't be to the lowest bidder. Got it. Earl, it's been my honor to interview you uh, over these last two episodes, and I, uh, I'm certain that this information will be valuable to our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Earl, could you please share your contact information with our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, you can reach me at Earl, E-A-R-L, at adssouth.com. Or call us at 770-664-1982. Earl, thanks so much, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Bob, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.